turn this morning uh, again back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 3. We'll read together this morning verses 20 through uh, 35 at the end of the chapter. Uh, though our focus will be on verses 20 and 21 and then 31 to 35. And I'll, I'll give a little explanation of that um, in a little bit here. And we'll take um, this week and next week to look at this, this passage as a whole. Okay. All right, so Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Give uh, careful attention as God's holy and infallible word is read. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property against he, uh, unless he first binds the strong man. Then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And then back to the portion that we'll focus on this morning. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I trust we all know family as uh, a blessing to us. Uh, though in a, a fallen world, family is not all and always uh, easy happiness and comfort all the time. Uh, actor and comedian George Burns wrote that happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. Um, Another person wrote that families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. <laughs> Maybe we can relate to that some. But family is one of God's greatest, most important, and foundational gifts to humanity. It is for, for many of us, many times, a great source of joy and security um, and comfort, uh, even if imperfectly in this life. Uh, playwright George Bernard Shaw, though he's not a Christian, I uh, wrote that a happy family is but an earlier heaven. And not to uh, diminish the true glories of heaven, we can uh, recognize that maybe there's some truth reflected in that. In, in the love and the joy of a family, we get a taste, in a sense, of God's design for this world, of his redemption of it, uh, and of his care for us as a father. Uh, as as our uh, us as his children, um, because often the joys of family in this life are are broken 
in different ways, right? By um, divorce or disagreements or death or, or many different things. Okay? And our, our greatest joy and security then is being adopted into God's family, right? being adopted into God's family. Jesus told his disciples, uh, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, recognizing that in some ways it, it brings divisions at times. Uh, no one who has done that who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Uh, ultimately, the most permanent and foundational family will be the family of God. In this passage, Jesus has, um, that, that we read this morning, Jesus has an interesting and, and uh, probably supposed to be shocking interaction and response uh, to his own family, his own biological family. Uh, but he refers to his people, uh, those who truly follow him and love him, um, as his mother and his brothers. And so I want to consider this morning the family of God, who it is, what it means to be part of it in, in Jesus' words here. And I want to do that looking at this, uh, this passage here um, in, in terms of three groups, uh, at least the part of the passage that we're looking at. So the first will be uh, Jesus' family, Jesus' biological family, his mother and his brothers. Uh, the second will be the crowds, just very briefly uh, note the, the crowds that are around Jesus again. And then finally, Jesus' spiritual family. So uh, first, Jesus' a biological family here. And uh, a word uh, about why we're looking at, at verses 20 and 21 and then jumping down to, to 31 to 35. Uh, so look at verse 21 where it says, uh, when his own people heard of this. Uh, his own people there is an ambiguous reference to someone that's close to Jesus. The, the Greek word behind that means uh, someone that's close to you. And, and the word can mean your family, your biological family. It can mean uh, close friends. Um, it's not exactly clear in that verse uh, who he's talking about. Um, but in verse 21, these, these people close to Jesus, whoever they are, they, they hear about things that are happening with him, and so they set out to find him. Uh, but then it doesn't immediately finish that story. Uh, it goes on then to talk about uh, the people who are there with Jesus where he is, the scribes who are opposed to him, and he has uh, a discussion with them. Um, and then in verse 31, though, it says, Then his mother and his brothers arrived. Uh, and so it seems uh, reasonable to assume that, that Mark began a story here in verse 21. His, his own people, his, his family, it could mean, heard some things about him that were alarming, so they went to find him. And then verse 31, he picks up this story again. His, his mother and his brothers arrived. They found him, uh, and they call out to him. Uh, and I think that's the best way to understand this passage here. Um, so uh, his family hears, uh, hears some things about him, and they conclude, verse 21, he's lost his senses. Whatever they've heard about Jesus, they, they conclude he's, he's gone, uh, he's out of his mind. He's acting like an idiot, is, is what they think. And verse 20 told us Jesus had gone home. Presumably that means home to Capernaum. We've been told already that that's where his home is now, maybe even living with Peter. Uh, in Capernaum, um, and so presumably his, his family, his mother and his brothers, Mary and his brothers, left Nazareth and, and walked all the way to Capernaum, at least 20 miles, uh, to get a hold of Jesus um, and, and to stop him. Well, what, 
what did they hear? What they, it says they heard these things, and this is what prompted them to think Jesus is acting crazy, and they need to go and, and help him. What did they hear? What led to that conclusion? Um, Mark, Mark doesn't tell us specifically. Maybe they heard that he had spent 40 days nearly starved to death in the wilderness. Uh, maybe they heard that he was pronouncing forgiveness of sins and telling people he was Lord of the Sabbath and speaking like he had the authority of God. Um, maybe they heard about him and his dinner parties with tax collectors and other um, apostate sinners. Um, certainly they've heard that he's been opposing official teaching and tradition and stirring up opposition. And, and their brother was just a carpenter, right? And now he's, he's challenging scribes and Pharisees and drawing these huge crowds and, and making a scene. And so they sense the need to go rescue him, to go stop him, it seems. Verse 21 says they set out to go take custody of him, um, to to bring him away, drag him away from this craziness, to bring him back to Nazareth, bring him back to uh, the construction business and the family where, where he belongs, seems to be why they're setting out. And so then in verse 31, they arrive. And there's so many people crowded around Jesus, they can't get to him. Uh, they pass word through the crowd, it seems, to Jesus, uh, presumably to tell him to come out to them. Um, this is, is somewhat similar at this point to chapter 1, verse 37, where again there were, there were big crowds at Jesus' house. He was ministering to them all day, and then it says he, he left, went off by himself, particularly to pray. His disciples didn't know where he was or why he had left, and they went out and found him, and they, they find him and say, what are you doing here? You know, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing, Jesus? Come, you, you shouldn't be here. Come with us. Uh, and they, they similarly try to, to redirect him. So Jesus' family shows up thinking he's lost his mind, trying to get a hold of him. It's almost like a mom finding her little boy outside throwing rocks at the neighbor's dog or something like that. She says, get inside. You know, stop causing trouble and embarrassing me. This is sort of the, 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 the way that they show up to find uh, Jesus. Well, secondly then, uh, just very briefly, consider the, the crowds here. And I just want to remind you we, what we noted um, early in chapter 2 uh, about the crowds. That the crowds are a big theme in the Gospel of Mark. Mark mentions the crowd almost 50 times in this, in this short Gospel. And they, they play a significant role in his story. The crowds are always attracted to Jesus. There's some fascination with what's going on. Uh, but the crowds are never once described as coming in repentance or coming in faith uh, to Jesus uh, with understanding. And after chapter 8, when Jesus will begin to talk more about his suffering and his death, the crowds are mentioned less and less. They get smaller until in the end, the crowd, the big crowd is, is screaming for Jesus to be crucified. Um, and, and one... One writer, uh, again, summarizes a, a, a lesson of the theme of the crowds in Mark in this way. He says, enthusiasm for Jesus and even proximity to him are not the same as faith. And, and there are good lessons for us uh, even today in that as well. And when Jesus, um, as he does sometimes, points out faith in someone, it's always in contrast to the crowds of people that are, that are around him. Um, it's something he hasn't seen in the crowds. Well, verse 20 is, is a, 
Uh, maybe a, a more minor example of this thing, theme, not a major thing, but the crowds are again presented somewhat negatively as, as sort of a nuisance or a hindrance to him. Verse 20, it says they're uh, gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. It, it doesn't tell why, whether they're just pressed in so tight that Jesus and his disciples couldn't get a, get a bite to eat, or whether they ate all Jesus' food, or, or we, we don't know what the reason is, but they're presented again as something of a, a hindrance. But also, be, before we move on here, because Jesus will, will go on as we look at the end of this chapter to speak of the exclusive nature of his family, of those who are really, really related to him, he'll, he'll hint that many people around him are not really in a meaningful relationship with him or part of his family. Uh, because of that, I just want to point out briefly how uh, inclusive his, his description of his family in another sense is here as well, as, as he looks out at the crowds here. Uh, when he describes who, his, who, who is truly part of his family there in verse 35, when he's responding to his biological family, uh, he says, whoever, right, whoever, it includes whoever. In other words, it includes whoever is willing to meet the conditions even though the crowd is, is generally fickle and superficial, uh, it, it's possible that anyone there in the crowd uh, could be part of his, his family. No one is excluded from Jesus' family in terms of his offer of relationship with himself. So anyone who is there, uh, anyone who is here this morning, um, anywhere in the world, any nation, any color, any background, uh, the family of God is, is open to you. The gospel is freely offered to anyone and everyone. Let's look at then Jesus' response more closely here and, and the third group um, that we're pointed to in this, in this story, Jesus' spiritual family. So when Jesus is told his family is calling for him, uh, he, he would likely be expected to immediately respond, to honor them by, by getting up and going finding them and finding what they wanted, what, what maybe they needed. Uh, you know, in our, our culture also, we have the general ideas of the goodness of honoring your family, uh, respecting your family. Just a simple example of that I, I um, learned this week where the, the road names in this neighborhood right here came from. Maybe some of you already know this. Um, but... It came from the developer of these, this, this neighborhood, I guess, years ago, um, naming for people in his family. So his three kids were Anita, Harley, and Warren. And you take the, three, the first two letters of each of those names and you get Anawa or Anhawa, or however you say this road right here. Okay? Um, his brother's three kids uh, were Sherry, Pam, and Trudy. You get Sharamdi Street, which is right up the road here. Uh, and then someone else's his brother or sister or someone else's kids was John, Tim, and Pat. And you get Jotipa Street, which is the next one up there. Okay. Um, anyways, that was in the Longmont newspaper. So, um, or the interview with the, the developer here who lives in Michigan or somewhere now. But it's the way he honored his family. Okay, it came up. I assume these were Indian names or something, but they're just American mashups of his kids. Um, but that, that expectation is even, uh, scholars would tell us, of honoring your family is even stronger uh, among, among ancient Jews. And so Jesus' response when he's told your family has come all the way from Nazareth looking for you, 
Um, his response here is likely somewhat, somewhat shocking, not, not dishonoring to his family necessarily in, in terms of his attention, though, uh, intention, though intended maybe as something of a subtle rebuke, uh, and intended to grab attention. And so in verse 33, his response is, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are they? And Jesus doesn't ask that because he's confused about who they are or he's, he's uh, you know, quizzing the people around him. It's, it's a rhetorical question. He's prompting reflection on that uh, from the crowds. What, what does it mean to be truly related to Jesus? Well, that's the question he's prompting. One commentator, Edwards, uh, says this, Jesus' hearers must ponder for themselves. Those who assume that they are close to Jesus should think again. And those who assume they're far from him should take hope. But what does it mean to be truly related to Jesus? Now, there's another way we could divide um, this, this account here in, into three groups. So I've, I've almost used this, this other way in, in, in your outline this morning, but um, in, into three groups that Jesus pointed to. I was, I was reminded as well that Pastor Marty told me a few weeks ago there are only three kinds of people in the world. There's those who can count and those who can't. It took me a moment to think about it. But um, another way to group these into three, there are really only two, is there are those who are clearly opposed to Jesus in this passage. The scribes will think about those next week. Okay. Then there are those who are related to Jesus, his biological family, people who identify with him in some way, or at least they think they do on the surface. And then there are those that Jesus says are truly related to him. Uh, identified with him, uh, which is, again is to say that there really are only two groups of people ultimately. There are those who are in Christ, there are those who are in relationship with him, and those who, are, who aren't, uh, whether they think they are or, or not. Okay, so who does Jesus say is really related to him, identified with him? Verse 34, he says, looking about at those who are sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus said it's those who do the will of God. Those who do God's will. What, what does that mean? What could Jesus mean by that? Certainly, doing the will of God in, includes and points to at least obeying God. Right? Not just saying something, not just being somewhere, a part of some group but actually obeying God. John 14, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And I think most fundamentally, Jesus is calling people to be like himself. Right? Jesus was the one who did the will of the Father. He's the one who shows us what that means. Read John's Gospel. He says that over and over again. I came to do the will of my Father, to, to show what it is to be a child of God. Uh, he shows us what it means to live in a loving and trusting uh, relationship with, with the Father uh, as a son. Uh, John writes in 1 John 2, This is how we know we are in Him. This is how we know we are in a relationship with God. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Right? To be like Jesus. To, to serve the Father as, as Jesus did. First Thessalonians, Paul makes the most straightforward statement about the will of God. He says, For this is the will of God, 
what? We, we should know the end of that statement probably, right? Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? Becoming more and more like, like Jesus. So Jesus points to those who are sitting around them and, and essentially saying any of them who are there truly to listen, to learn, to be challenged, to grow, to become more like Jesus, to give themselves to him, in, in, in a sense sort of come alongside Jesus and, and serve the Father with him, uh, in addition to, to serving Jesus and understanding him as Lord. These were his family. Jesus is not looking around and pointing out those who had, uh, you know, this one and that one who achieved a certain level of holiness or who were especially good or Jesus especially liked. Rather, simply those who were genuinely giving themselves to his teaching and, and responding in repentance and faith. The, the family of God is inclusively offered to everyone. It's whoever but it's exclusively made up only of those, Jesus says, who do the will of God. That is, they're, they're sincerely listening to and following uh, and obeying Jesus. Not perfectly, but, but sincerely uh, obeying like Jesus. And these, uh, these three groups that are really just two groups remain today. They're, they're applicable today. And... and uh, just in terms of application of that, thinking about that for our time, I, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 13. I'll turn over to Luke chapter 13 briefly, just a very short uh, parable that Jesus tells. <clears throat> Pointing to this, he, uh, verse 24, he leads into this, saying that many will seek to enter and will not be able and he says, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. In other words, Jesus is speaking about those who one day will, will have thought that they were in a relationship with him, with the master here, with, with picturing Jesus. They, they thought they were on the inside. And all of a sudden they find that the door is shut in their face. They find that, in fact, they had no relationship with him at all. To their shock. He goes on, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We, we had meals with you. And, and you taught in our streets. They, they pull out their Jesus resumes. They pull out their paperwork. and say, look, we thought we were on the inside. This is what... Paul was describing in Philippians 3 that we read last week uh, in, in the sermon, how, how he used to think. Maybe some of you implicitly think this way as well. But Jesus, I, I attended worship like at least three times a week or, or a month. And, and I taught Sunday school or I prayed before meals or I gave money to the church. I listened to thousands of sermons. Look at this list. And Jesus concludes this, this parable. He will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. So I, I think many, many professing Christians, uh, sadly, are like, on the one hand, like Jesus' family in this, in this story. At this point, there's great evidence that Jesus' family came to understanding and faith uh, later. But they thought they could control him here and tame him and um, 
you know, shut down the more uncomfortable parts of his, his ministry. They didn't understand. Many professing Christians are like uh, those in this, this parable in Luke chapter 13. Lord, let us in because of who we are. Jesus' family showing up there. Don't you know who we are? But, but the, the, the door uh, to the kingdom, the, the, the door to the family of God will only open when we plead, Lord, let us in because of who you are. Right, not because of who we are. Uh, Jesus' family is those who admit you know, we have nothing. We have no argument. We have no resume, spiritual resume that counts for anything. In fact, it counts against us, Lord. It, it, it is simply a humble, repentant, life-giving response to Jesus as the one who died uh, for you, who gives you new life. That, that's what opens his family to you. That, that's the free simplicity of the gospel. Uh, it's, it's not a list of things like these people in this, this parable here give. So I just want to conclude asking, what is, what is your relationship to Jesus? Are you part of the family of God? Is Jesus your brother? Are you following behind him, beside him, imitating him in, in doing the will of God? Um, are you listening to him, growing in him? Whether, whether you're certain that you are a part of God's family this morning or not, and I hope you are, but uh, Jesus here calls you, calls all of us, I think, to give ourselves more fully uh, as those who do the will of God. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you again for your word this morning. We thank you that uh, you're so kind and gracious to... Uh, teach us uh, to call us uh, gently away from uh, darkness and, and more and more to light and to walking with you. We pray that you would, um, by your spirit, uh, strengthen us to um, walk with Jesus more and more, uh, to be uh, more and more those who do the will of God. Um, give us a great joy and gratitude in uh, knowing that Jesus calls us brothers, sisters, mothers, uh, his family. Uh, let us live in that reality, we pray in his name. Amen.